The Things We All Carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around the subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Welcome to a bonus episode, technically episode 79, of The Things We All Carry. Destiny Morris is a licensed marriage and family therapist from California. Her practice centers around first responders, spouses, and relationships. She is certified as a first responder counselor, as well as being trained in the practice of EMDR and trauma-informed. She works with individuals, couples, and holds first responder partner groups. In this conversation, we discuss the idea of hypervigilance and how it affects relationships. We delve into the topic of sex. Yep, sex and the first responder. Sex, interpersonal relationships, family planning, communication, and how the life of a first responder affects all of it. You can find Destiny on Instagram under the name On Being Resilient. On underscore being underscore resilient. I look forward to having her on again to get a little more into the weeds on a few of these subjects. A quick reminder to please help us build a community which not only recognizes, but supports each other through the struggles and recovery. Reach out through Instagram at the things we all carry or email my story at the things we all carry.com to offer support and share your story. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes and give a shout out to any first responder you know, love, or care about. Y'all enjoy the show. state of california correct that's right okay record to the clap recording in progress all right so if you're ready we just have a conversation like i do with everybody else yep all right so i want to welcome destiny morris to the show she's a licensed marriage and family therapist and she is in california and that's where she's joining us i assume you're joining us from your home yep that's right i work from home i'm in my home office right now perfect how are you this morning I'm good. I'm just waking up. I've got my cup of decaf. <laughs> oh, see, I've got I've got the advantage. Mine is the the full full uh, full okay. octane. Put it that way. Um, so, but yeah, again, thank you for joining me. I, I appreciate it. And we've talked briefly on on Instagram about kind of what we want to talk about. And then I think I'm I think this will be an interesting show. And then see where we go. Mm-hmm. You want to tell me a little bit about yourself? Where did you grow up? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in California, Santa Barbara County, which is where I live now. This is where I've grown up. Um, I studied abroad for a little bit. I lived in New Zealand. Um, I got to travel Australia a bit. Um, I've lived in Santa Barbara. Kind of been a little bit all over when it comes to college. Um, and I did a lot of extra college. I have two bachelor's degrees. Um, one is in theology and the other one is in clinical um, psychology. And then my master's degree um, is also in clinical psychology. And um, I guess what got me into the first responder sector is um, my dad was um, worked for the sheriff department growing up. So I'm a daughter of a police officer. And then while I was in grad school, I was dating a fireman. So that really piqued my interest in a lot of things I would see with him. Um, and even though I'm not in that relationship anymore, it's kind of something that just stuck with me. I feel like I understood the culture well because I'd been in it, grown up in it, uh, and and now it's my my whole heart. I think most of my practice is first responders or first responder family members. 
And before we get down to that road with the with what we want to talk about, let me ask you one quick question. What's the last song that you heard? Oh gosh. Like on my on yes. my like surface? Yeah, whatever. I think I'd have to look. Is that okay? Can I cheat? Of course you can cheat. You know what? It says here the song I was listening to is Bad Habit by Steve Lacey. Don't judge me because I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it was just on random and that's what was last? I have giant playlists. I'm very eclectic. Music is very important to me. My workout playlist is like five hours long. I've got one that's titled Good Shit. It's <laughs> like <laughs> so long. I, and I have them on um, like a, what's it called? A shuffle all the time. So it's kind of it's kind of random stuff on there. That's perfect. No, that's why that's exactly why I ask because music is important to me. I, it's something that I have with me all the time. It seems like I'm always I always have something on, and so it just hit me. I was like, why am I not asking people? Because now I can take that and I can listen to it and maybe add to my add to my list. Unless it's a horrible song and you go, wow, Destiny. Well, but then then I'll just talk ill of you and, and we'll put it out in the episode. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right, so. I know one of the things we were going to talk about was this hypervigilance with yeah. first responders. You, can you define that to start just so people are aware of what we're talking about? Yeah, I think that it's an overcomplicated thing. And I think it's maybe could be oversimplified. And I'm going to try to do that um, just for the listener's sake. So then it's really clear. I think that hypervigilance is this hyper awareness of not just yourself, but everything around you. And um, first responders tend to get tagged with the term hypervigilance. They usually go hand in hand, especially clinically, because of the aspect of the job that you have to be on. You have to be watching everything around you. You have to be aware of yourself. Um, that is how you function as a first responder. And I guess the piece that's important here, and I think talked about often, is hypervigilance is often something that cannot be turned off once you're off the job. So hypervigilance is something that helps you function well in the job because you're hyper aware of everything. But when you get off the job, it's not necessarily useful and it can get in the way. And I know that's something that we're going to be talking more about as far as relationships go. So what's an example of hypervigilance once you're off the job that, we, mm. that you would have someone come to you and say, this is what's going on. And you go, ah, I know exactly what it is. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways it can manifest, I guess. Um one of them would be constant irritation when you get home, inability to relax, a hard time sleeping. I'll have some first responders that say, I just got off the you know gnarliest shift and hardly slept at all. And I'll ask, well, did you go home and take a nap? Like, did you get some rest? No, I'll lay there and my mind will just be crazy. It'll be racing. I, I can't sleep to save my life. That is a huge red flag for hypervigilance. It points right to it. Mm. again that irritability um unable to be present is a big one with your family when you come home that's a big um sign of paper vigilance as well what about the things that i kind of always hear from people when i talk to them or even if it's not on a recording just talk to them in passing things like oh when i sit in a restaurant my back has to be to a wall i have to look at the door when i go to a concert i have to identify the exits and i don't i don't like to be i don't like people behind me i want to be i want to know everything that's in front of me, um, things like that. It, it would, would you consider that hypervigilance or is that just, is that a small piece of it? No, that's definitely hypervigilance. I hear that more from, I would say, people in law enforcement rather than firemen. 
um, the piece of having to watch your back. And that's just the cultural or I guess political difference between um, people that are in law enforcement and people that are in the firehouse. Because in law enforcement, people are against you for the most part. Mm -hmm. When you show up, it's not exciting for anybody. It's not helpful for the most part. People don't see, our culture doesn't see it, even though it is helpful. Our culture does not see it as that. And so having to watch your back, having to watch your surroundings is really the basis of being a a first responder in the law enforcement realm. Whereas very similar for um, people that are in the firehouse, I think that I... I've definitely seen people hypervigilance in that way, but maybe not as much because they feel more protected or more politically, I guess, accepted or culturally accepted in, in what they do. It's it's funny you say that you see that in law enforcement more, but I I'll, I guarantee you this, if you go out with a go out to lunch with a bunch of firefighters, they're going to fight you for the seat that that puts their back to the wall. Oh, I could see that. Yeah. yeah. So being aware. Yeah. yeah it's, it, 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 it is all about the, like you said, the, the awareness and, and, I, I just, I kind of hear it all the time. And that's why I wanted to, to ask about that one. Yeah. Hypervigilance. Absolutely. So when someone comes to you and, and you, and you see that, 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 that is the issue, there's this hypervigilance going on. What are you doing with them? Hmm. Well, first talking about it and normalizing it. Um, I think that's the first step. It needs to be talked about more um, because I think a lot of first responders, especially relationally, they'll struggle with these things and think, gosh, what in the world is wrong with me? Why can't I sleep? Why can't I relax? Um, Why am I not able to connect with my partner? And for the first responder partners who I also get in therapy, they'll come into session and say, oh my goodness, my spouse, it just really struggles to remember things, to be present, to relax. I can't connect with them. It just feels like they're always on the job. Um, That would be the first thing is to, to stem it back for them and say, hey, this is what you're going through. We call it hypervigilance. This is what hypervigilance is. I think that that takes a little bit of the weight off of it. Um, after that, we will then begin to process um, the, the step on the job because hypervigilance, unfortunately, is not something that anyone can just re- erase. It's um, whenever we look at something that we want to get rid of or minimize, we have to look at why it's there in the first place. And the reason that these traits are there is because they serve a purpose and they they have a positive side to them. So if we think about the positive side of hypervigilance, it's the ability to be very aware of yourself and your surrounding, which is important as a first responder. It's not the most important thing. Um, being able to see what needs to get done and getting it done. That's, that's the very important thing. Also, the aspect of being able to shut off your own emotions and turn on this first responder mentality of, you know, see what the problem is and address it without your own personal bias or emotions getting in the way. So I cannot erase hypervigilance because it's an important asset to the job. But what we can do is we can start to unpack some of the stuff in the job and that can help separate uh, work from home and talking about, you know, learning how to decompress better, coping skills for decompressing. Those are key to helping with hypervigilance, like helping people to decompress and come down from their shift a little bit smoother. Do in a way, is it kind of like harnessing the hypervigilance? So you're taking it and you go, okay, this is, this is not a bad thing, but let's apply it in the right way. Yeah. Let's keep it in its box and not let it bleed into things that are not, it's not helpful for, right? Yeah, absolutely. 
how does this hypervigilance, how does it affect outside of the job? I, I understand we, we keep watch, we, we have trouble sleeping, but it's, it has to be impacting everything about life for, for some people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some people can't turn it off, right? You get home and you take off your, your work clothes. And I would think people on a nine to five job, um, not myself, because I struggle with this too. I think therapists also struggle with it on a different um, element, but people with us, someone that works at, as a waitress, maybe let's, let's use them for an example. They come home, they take off their uniform, they shower, they lounge on the couch, and maybe they'll think about things that bothered them about their shift, but at home, they do not continue to be a waitress. They are, you know, mom, wife, individual. First responders, um, during when they get home, a lot of times they take off their uniform shower. Some first responders are really good at turning that part of themselves off, but I've seen a lot of them, and maybe it's just a bias because of the people I see in my practice, right. people who struggle with this. Um, they struggle to take off the persona or the job or the identity of being a first responder. And that's where the hypervigilance can get in the way. And I can speak more specifically about that too. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things I've, I've heard from some, a lot of my guests are they, you're a human who works as a firefighter. Let's not be that you're not a firefighter. That's not your identity. It's your job. And that's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I see it come in the way with spouses a lot um, for a few different reasons. And um, one of them, I will say, I'll hear them say that their spouse will come home and then start to run the house like it's the firehouse or start to come home and, you know, start to um, talk to their children like their deputies. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't that doesn't work. I mean, it works for a, for a certain style, but not for success. No, not for family. It's it doesn't. And and it's a big transition for the spouse at home when they go, whoa. That's not how we talk to our children. That's not how we talk to each other and communicate. But it's what the first responders used to because they do it probably more often than they're at home. Well, not only that, but the, the spouse has been home for whatever length of time their shift was, for their loved one's shift was. And now that, that person's coming home and, and the spouse is also trying to find a way to reintegrate the house with the, with the, with the loved one, correct? Absolutely, yeah. So that's, I mean, that makes it even trickier when, when you have the two and then you have this hypervigilance. Yes. So what are the ramifications for relationships? Oh, a lot. <laughs> um, you know, I hear, and I'm sure you do with the stigmatized, you know, first responders have such a high rate of divorce or relationships not working out. And I think that we look at um, being unfaithful is one of the top reasons why, and it is one of the reasons, and just like any relationship. But I think that hypervigilance plays a role in this too. I think that hypervigilance can push people away from each other. Um, hypervigilance can make the first responder feel misunderstood. Um, and it can also make the partner who's at home feel distant and like they can't do anything to connect with their partner again, because that's the basis of a relationship, right? being able to connect together. Um, talking more on that, intimacy is a big one, where if you are hypervigilant, you are physically unable to be emotional um, or intimate with your partner. And they, I don't know if you've heard this before, and I know that every first responder will cringe when they hear it, because hmm. especially men, it's, it's not a fun one to hear, but it's very true. There's a lot of um, science behind what it is, but... 
a lot of first responders really struggle with erectile dysfunction. And the reason being is that hypervigilance, being able, if you're unable to turn it off when you come home, you're unable to turn on the emotions, like I said, and the ability to connect on that level. Because you can't have that on when you're at work. That's off right? Like that, that would get in the way. Imagine if your emotional switch was on when you go to a call, like. No, it would definitely hinder performance on, on the job. On the job and hinders performance off the job. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So, so in your practice, are you, is that a main focus, the intimacy with, with couples of first responders or first responder based couples, I guess we can say? Yeah, you know, uh, recently, yes, I am not a sex therapist. I'm actually looking into what it would take for me to get the proper training done. Mm-hmm. I think you have to be licensed for five years and I'm not quite there yet. So I've got some time, but mm-hmm. this is a topic that I'm very passionate about and very comfortable talking about. And I think that sex has a, I mean, I know it does culturally. It has this like uncomfortability about it. People don't want to talk about it. Very similar to mental health. Um, (laughs) And so because I talk about it um, quite often on my Instagram and in my first responder partner groups and um, on different podcasts, I would say that a lot, a lot, a lot of my clients who are first responders are coming to me with intimacy issues or questions that they feel like they have not been able to go elsewhere And I will just speak for myself as a therapist, but sex is such an integral part of who we are that even when they don't come to me for that, I'm sure other therapists have seen this as well. It always comes up somewhere down the line. Once we're comfortable, I will hear something about, you know, the intimacy or or sex. So yes, I do. I do see quite a, a bit of this. And I guess one of the spots to start and correct me if I'm wrong, for some people is define intimacy. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's a hard one, right? It's like defining love. It's right. <laughs> so, yeah. so what when you talk to clients or couples, what is intimacy? I would have to say that most people that I see would define intimacy as a closeness. Uh-huh. And it's hard to put in a box, right? Um, I guess it's more of a feeling than a, than words, but it's a closeness or a togetherness or um, an understanding of one another. Like I said, I think that's integral for a part of a, a relationship. So you, you mentioned that you had some uh, some bullet points that you could hit on on the on these subjects. So let's let's get down some of those. What what, what are some of the bullet points to this? All right, buckle up. You ready? Yeah, of course <laughs> I'm ready. Let's do this. So um, one of the top ones I see is mismatched sex drives, and I think mm. that this is huge where we have this really small window of time, depending on what kind of a first responder you are. And, you know, I see this a lot in fire, being also in law enforcement, especially military, oh my goodness, where they have this tiny small window of being able to come home. And in that window, you're supposed to decompress. You're supposed to spend time with your family and friends. You're supposed to get household things done, projects, help your spouse with that they weren't able to do on their own. You're supposed to talk about finances. You're supposed to continue arguments that maybe weren't continued or finished, kind of swept aside for for now. Uh, And you're supposed to have sex all in maybe a three to five day span, maybe less, depending on if you're in wildland or if you work for Cal Fire. Right. (laughs) 
uh, or if they're gone, right? Right. And, and and to add to that, like my schedule is 24 on, 24 off, 24 on, 24 off, 24 on. So in those two in-between days, you're supposed to squeeze that all of that in. Or you yeah, let it sit for five days. So, yeah, I, I, I get that now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, hearing your schedule, that's a difficult one. It's it's the perk of it is that you probably have more time with your people on your days off. It feels more, I guess, routine um, where you're not waiting longer periods of time. Well, and then you then we, we get a four day we get four days off at the end of that. So that Got helps. It. It's, it's not ad nauseum day on day off, but it, we get the four days off. But, you know, sure. it, it's, it's a whole set of obstacles there in, in itself. Yeah. Yeah. Having to adjust back and forth really quick. Right. Yeah. That's the biggest one I see. But yeah, for intimacy, mismatched sex drives is a really big one where because what I was saying, because we have such a small window of time, you really don't have a whole lot of options. So maybe you are a person that prefers to be intimate in the morning or in the afternoon or the evening. You don't really get a lot of choices there because you have these really small windows of time to squeeze everything in. And so a couple factors here. Let's say you have, and I'm thinking like heterosexual relationship here. And I tend to think of the woman as the the person that stays home, but that's not always true. We have female first responders, obviously. And so if you're listening, please apply this to what you are, but I will use this as the example. Let's say your wife is at home and, and she has children and whether she works from home or goes to work or stays at home, it is very common for a woman to feel touched out. I don't know if that's a term you've heard before. No, I haven't. Um, the the term really comes from, well, I don't know where it originates, but what it means is when a woman is constantly touched and grabbed and mommy, mommy, uh, and pulled, yes. when spouse comes home and maybe you, and it's different, right? So some first responders will come home and be like, I would love to connect intimately. I've been thinking about it. I just want to reconnect with you. We have been away. Some first responders will come home and go, do not touch me with a pole because I feel like I need to sit in silence and I don't want to be there. Um, so it depends for who you are. But for the spouse that's touched out, they definitely do not want to be touched when they get home. So that can be a challenge for the first responder who comes home that wants to be intimate and reconnect. But that wife or that you know person that's at home maybe with children is like, I need some time to decompress without being touched. And that can cause some some conflict in relationships. It can go the other way around too, where the first responder doesn't want to be touched. I've had, I have a lot of first responders who their way of decompressing is sitting on the couch after the shower and just sitting in silence and that's what they need. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the other side of that is if there is not good communication and communication is really the umbrella here. If there's not good communication, then the partner of the first responder is going to start to feel insecure. Why are you not wanting to be intimate with me? Are you not attracted to me? Did you not miss me like I missed you? Yeah. What's wrong with me? Yeah. Or is there someone else? I think that's a big one too. Yeah. So, okay. So mismatched, um, well, you said sex drives basically, correct? Yes. Yeah. And so that, that relates to that touched out, obviously, if you, if you're trying to squeeze in, everything and then you're also trying to find time for that for that intimacy which is so necessary in a relationship uh and and what what would create the the mismatch door what would i mean that is that an innate thing in somebody as a a higher low sex drive or or is that from the stresses of the job and family 
both. Um, yes and yes. I think that it is an innate thing, right? We have certain amount of hormones in our bodies and some people have higher sex drives than others. And that's very natural and normal. On the term of, or on the attaching it to hypervigilance for the first responder, that can really affect your your sex drive and your hormones. Absolutely. And we know that there are studies that show that stress is a really big factor in those kinds of things. And I'm thinking more along the lines of hypervigilance, right? The mm-hmm. reason we have hypervigilance as human beings is to protect us. It's a protective mechanism. We have fight, flight, and freeze. So if a bear, it's always the bear, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have no other. Well, always so running into bears. Always running into, have I ever run into a bear? No, but, <laughs> but it's always the bear. So a bear comes at you. You are going to go into fight, flight, or freeze. And when our bodies do that, they stop pumping blood to the parts of our bodies that are no longer useful in that moment. So, and we also increase our blood flow to our hearts and our lungs and, you know, the things that are actually needed to perform or to protect us. Um, And so hypervigilance is a spinoff of fight, flight, or freeze. and, And it's our body protecting us. So if we think about the literal yeah. form of blood not pumping to certain parts right. of our body, that goes back to erectile dysfunction. Right. It goes back to our sex drive. We it is it's not even on the the radar when you're at work. You're not thinking most I mean, maybe it pops in your head sometimes, but when you're working, you're probably not thinking about your sex drive. <laughs> you're probably thinking about, you know, what you need to get done, what's in front of you, what that patient needs, how you're protecting yourself, watching your back, all these things. So because that goes on the back burner, it takes a long time sometimes for the first responder to get that back up to um, something that's even on their radar. So if you just come home and your wife is like, oh, I really want to be intimate with you, you might go, oh, I'm unable to, even though I want to, maybe logically you want to, but physically you might not be able to because you don't, you're still in that fight or flight mode. You're still in the chasing, the bears chasing me mode. It's not, it's not part of the, the system functioning. Do you ever see the opposite? Yeah, uh, yes. And I think what you're asking, uh, I see people that use sex as a coping mechanism. Is that kind of what you're... Well, yeah. Or or do you see, do you have couples that they come in and go that his, his or the, the firefighter or the first responder sex drive is, is, is elevated where, where the spouse is maybe subdued or, or muted a bit. And, and is there an explanation for that? If, if that's even, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's prevalent. Oh, yeah. I've seen all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's different for every couple. Yes, I have seen that as well. And this goes hand in hand. It's a really important topic. And this is probably where I get most of my male um, clients. And I will say that most of these sessions are phone sessions because there's a lot of shame and embarrassment. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be seen. And that's totally fine. You can do therapy over the phone and you don't ever have to look at your therapist if you don't want to. But um, that right there, I think, really speaks into the topic of pornography addiction Mm -hmm. and sex addiction. And those right there are extremely high with first responders. And the reason being is because there's this high risk, um, high reward mentality. And that is something that first responders thrive off of on the daily, right? You're always being put into these like, oh, not always, but a lot of times more adrenaline um, situations. It's something that you function well and you're used to it. Um, So there's this draw of things like pornography or sex addictions um, and infidelity goes hand in hand with this too. And I think that this is the element where they have the 
you know, the stereotypes of, oh, first responders have more, you know, higher rate of divorce because of cheating. I think that it actually isn't because first responders are innate, like they're not cheaters. <laughs> I think it's because there's this high risk, high reward mentality that can be really, it, it, it's a, it draws first responders in. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So a couple comes to you. What do you do with this, with this mismatched drive? Mm -hmm. Communication. It goes back to that. So <laughs> it's always, communi able... always communication. It... Yeah. Always a bear, always communication. These are just like the, the standard yeah. golden rule. So um, around communication, and these are the kind of the more tangible tips I would like to give anyone that's listening to this or has struggled with it is so for the first responder, there's, I'll give you both uh, perspectives. For the first responder that comes home and let's say they are not ready to be intimate because they need some time to decompress. Or I've had first responders that will start to get intimate and then get flashes of what they saw at work. Mm. And that's a good kill, right? Like no one wants that. Yeah, that would be a buzzkill. Absolutely. Yeah. You're like, ooh, that's not supposed to be there. Um, and that goes with compartmentalizing. So... If I had a first responder that struggled with wanting to be intimate and the partner is feeling like, do you not like me? What is wrong? The communication I would really love to see and I would try to teach them to, to communicate better with themselves is and to each other is for the first responder to tell their partner, hey, when I have hard shifts, I'm going to send you a text or a call on the way home and let you know that I need extra time to decompress. It is not because I'm not attracted to you. It is not because I'm seeing someone else. It is not because I don't want to be intimate. It's because I need this time. And what that does is it gives the partner reassurance that it's not them, that they're not the problem. So that would be the, the very basic when we hear it. But a lot of couples struggle with that communication. The first responder that shut down, the last thing they think about is communicating with their partner that they're shut down. Yeah, yeah. How do you how do you express your shutdown when you when you're shut down? Exactly. Yeah. But I would say express it before you shut down, if possible. Check in with your partner before. And it could be helpful too if the first responder struggles with that for the partner to know and go, okay, I'm actually going to check in with you. I will text you on your way home and say, hey, thumbs up, thumbs down. How are you doing? Um, so that there's another thing too is um, I see a lot of people that get their expectations up really high, the partner. Um, of the first responder. And then there's a lot of disappointment when their expectations are not met, whether that be met with excitement at the door and maybe their first responder comes in grumpy because they haven't slept and had a bunch of stupid calls in a row. You know, whatever the case is, the expectations need to be um, appropriate or there's going to be disappointment involved. So how do you, how do you mitigate some of this? How do you on the first responders part, so you're at work and you know that you, you, you're starting to realize there's some hypervigilance and, and you're worried about this, this performance at home and, and the little, your, your inability to provide intimacy to, to a partner. How do they go about going saying, okay, this is, this is how I, I stop compartmentalizing. I, I, I reach out, I talk. Are those all the issues like talking and reaching out and, and sharing, or is there another way of, of helping? Well, I guess I'm biased. Uh, oh, of course, yeah. I'm, I'm asking a therapist to tell me what's the best thing, of course. I, I, I just don't, I, I guess, did that question make sense, first of all? 
I think so. Yeah. You're asking what other things besides like talking and communicating can be helpful. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I guess what can a first responder do for themselves before, in addition to the talk? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I do have other resources for that. So obviously talking about it is important. And I kid you not, almost every single time I get a first responder that's struggling with intimacy, I'll get more into a comfort level where we'll talk about and actually be honest. It's hard to do that with people especially with the shame aspect. Pornography is always in there. I tell mm-hmm. you what, every single time uh, when I get a first responder that's struggling to be intimate with their partner, pornography gets in the way. And the reason being is because it creates an intimacy with an in- something else. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it creates distance from your partner every single time. And um, and I also see this as far as like functioning too, is no, this is not what you asked, but I'll circle back around. Oh, you're good. <laughs> Is when we, it's kind of like um, any kind of substance use, right? Um, if you're, let's use weed. <laughs> you smoke a certain amount of weed for the first time in your life, you're going to get high on a very small amount. Right. Over time, if you become a pothead, you're going to need more weed in order to get the kind of high. Same thing with sex. If you are used to having this high risk, high reward, high adrenaline type of sex, through pornography, then when it comes to sex with your partner, you will not have that same satisfaction. And a lot of times that results in um, erectile dysfunction or being able to have a desire for your partner because of the things that you are regularly putting in that space. Uh, Circle back around to your first question, (laughs) decompressing. Decompressing is important and almost uh, just as important as communicating, honestly. Um, and so having this, like, I like to call it a defrost, defrosting from your job mm-hmm. and then revamping up again or thawing, thawing out and getting for a food, getting to go back to your job. There needs to be a routine there. And the routine can change depending on what kind of shift and how much sleep you got. But there has to be something that you fall back on when you're coming back, when you're coming back home from your shift. That's okay. important. So let me, in my layman's brain, let me try to work this out. So I know I'm getting off at six in the morning. Um, my routine for me is I don't listen to anything in the car on the way home. I have about a 45 minute drive home. That, that is my time to kind of just sit in it. You know, it could have been, it could be nothing. It could be that we ran two calls the day before, but I'm just tired and I'm just kind of focusing on what I'm going to do for the rest of the day or for that day, for that day. Or it could be me going, okay, let me process some things. Let me talk, let me think about some things here. Or I do some breath work or something along those lines. So that's quickly become a part of my routine. It's the same on the front end of, of going into work. I don't listen to music or podcasts on the way in because I don't want to, I just want to, I just want to go in with that fresh head, fresh brain. And then that kind of sets me up for a little bit of success on both ends. Is, is that what you're kind of hinting at as, as a routine that ramping yes. up and ramping down? Yeah. And that's great if you have time to commute, but I know some first responders live 15, 20 minutes. From I wish, I wish. <laughs> well, you say that, but the t- I know the driving sucks, but no. also driving gives you some time. It also gives you distance. And I think that's a very important thing because I did used to live 15 minutes or not even 15, five minutes from my, from my first due. And I would hear my units on different shifts go out on that day. And, and I was always connected to what was going on at work. Yeah. 
And then also the aspect of having to respond to people that are your neighbors and your friends and your family members. Right. That's hard to separate work from emotions when you do that. So just trying to find a routine that would set you up for a little bit, a little bit of success on both sides of this equation, correct? Yeah, there's this, um, I don't know if you've heard this before, but there's this, uh, what they call it, the theory of um, finishing the stress cycle. Have you heard this before? No. Oh, it's so, it, it's brilliant, really. Um, and everyone needs it, even if you're not a first responder. But we have something called a stress cycle throughout our day. First responders really have a stress cycle because they're hypervigilant. So their level of stress is very high during the day. We can't just stop it. If we stop the circle, it doesn't complete and it doesn't finish. Mm. Then we're stuck in the state of hypervigilance. Um, and there's a book on it. It's called Burnout. The book is written for women, but I think there's so much good and valuable information in there that a man could listen to it or read it as well. But um, her name is Emily and she has a PhD. I can't think of her. I can't pronounce her last name. So <laughs> the book is called Burnout. And she talks about the stress cycle and how if you don't stop or continue or finish the stress cycle at the end of your day, then you are stuck in the stress. There's And then you wake up the next day and you pick up where you left off. Mm -hmm. So in order to finish the stress cycle, we need to do something that completes or kind of like uh, slows us, slows the roll down a little bit. Mm -hmm. and that can look like a lot of things like you're saying, sitting in the car, um, decompressing, breath work is great. Exercise is one of the top things she talks about how a lot of times it's a physical um, kind of release of energy that we need to be doing. But obviously, if you haven't gotten sleep, the last thing you're thinking about doing is going and getting a workout when you've finished with your shit. Um, walking the dog, going for a walk before you've been in the door. Um, I am so part of this cult. So I apologize for how excited I get about it. Ice baths, I kid you not, are... <laughs> Every first responder needs to be getting an ice at some point in their life just to experience it. But I, I got an ice bath and that has been huge for me personally. And I'm not a first responder, but finishing my stress cycle at the beginning or the end of the day. Um, it has, it shocks your nervous system into really a regularness, right? And I think that that could be something that's really helpful to integrate into a first responder's habit of decompressing as well. Hey guys, quick break right here just to check in and thank each of you for listening to the show. Your support has been paramount and I appreciate all of you. I have one request though. I need you to share the show with everyone you know. Help me get the word out and spread these stories as far and as wide as we can. While you're at it, please leave a review of the show wherever you happen to listen. Feel free to reach out to me at any time to share your story, to talk, or to pass on suggestions. Let's get on with the rest of the show. You stole my thunder. I was going to ask you about your ice bath. So you stole my oh, thunder. I, I, I could talk about that. I'm obsessed with the ice baths. Have you tried it before? No, I haven't. Just cold shower type thing, but not an ice bath. And I need to, but I actually copied your code off of Instagram this morning. So I was going to, that's why I wanted to talk to you about it. And so, but, but I can, I can go back and forth via messenger with you about that. So, but yeah, oh, it, I, I yeah. think, I think it's a, Actually, you're seeing it more and more in, in fire stations in my department right now. So there are a few that actually have them and, and they try to, they schedule a day on the tour to do it because it, it is, they're using ice and it's a little cost prohibitive and it, you know, so they they are, they are starting to be more prevalent. I think between saunas and ice baths, those are two things that should be in every firehouse from, from this point forward. 
Oh, absolutely. So I have both in my house and I feel really like bougie. (laughs) (laughs) But I found an infrared sauna for under two grand. I think it was like $1,300. That's Um, that's really nothing for what what you get from it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. If you can invest that into having one, it's in one of the bedrooms of my house. It has light therapy in it, red light therapy, Mm -hmm. which has been to actually... um, help with testosterone and it can help with other hormones and it can help with our skin and our cell turnover. That's huge. But going back to the ice, um, something really interesting. I've been really nerding out short on this. Um, and I have a little highlight on my page. Um, I think it's titled like ice bath or cold plunge or something where I posted all of the videos about this. I think something that's really um, important for first responders to know about taking cold plunges or ice baths is it actually resets your dopamine receptors in your brain. Okay. Yeah. So especially someone that's struggling with pornography or someone that Mm. feels like dopamine zapped out, their dopamine, maybe you spend a lot of time on your phone. Anytime we get into the ice, it resets our nervous system, but it also resets our dopamine. And so those things are really important. It also helps us with our serotonin levels. And this can help the first responder who feels very hypervigilant that struggles to sleep or get relaxation after they come home. Well, obviously then it has more benefits than I, I didn't know that about the dopamine. So that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. There's, um, I, I know this is like extra nerdy, but, and I'm sure everyone listens. Have you listened to the, what's his name? Andrew Huberman? Huberman? Yeah. 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 I listened to his, gosh, it was like a three hour podcast. They all like are. <laughs> it's an investment. Rogan. Yeah. I was like, I listened to it in increments over a couple of weeks, but he had the, the scientist who actually originally did the study on the, the cold, she calls it winter swimming. And she talks about all the different aspects of it. It helps with obviously muscle soreness and it also helps with muscle regrowth quicker because you are getting um, more recovery. And interesting along those lines, um, I see that you, is yours a smartwatch or a normal watch? No, it's a smartwatch. It's a Garmin. Garmin. Okay. So I don't know if the Garmin does this. I have the Woo. Yeah. And um, it will give me my recovery Mm -hmm. based on activities I've done. Does yours do that? Oh yeah. They... I used to wear a whoop as well, but then I, I I couldn't justify the two of them. So I went I went with the Garmin because for me, it has more functionality, but it does a body battery. It's the same thing as the whoop recovery. Well, you have a face on that and I like that too. That's probably nice to actually, I can't tell you how many times I look at my whoop for the time. I'm like, dang it. I used to hear, so you have a watch that doesn't tell time. Cool. <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> but I think really because I wear this in the ice baths and I wear this in the sauna yeah, yeah. and I've done it enough times that my whoop has actually shown me the science nice. behind my you know, body temperature and heart mm-hmm. rate of what my recovery level is when I use the ice bath versus when I don't. Okay. So there's obviously a lot of science behind it, but I I really recommend the ice baths because it's like um like someone coming up and slapping you in the face and saying like, you know, that bad of that. It's a full body version of that. Um, that shock initially is really, really, it actually helps with your immune system. It helps you um, have more brown fat. And I think that that's being talked about a lot. It's a healthy kind of fat. It's the the fat that helps our metabolism be faster. So there's so many, I'm told you I could nerd out. I'll stop now. But there's a lot of kind of really cool benefits. 
other a cold plunge. And I love to see it in first responder houses and in firehouses because it's it's important. So I know that you, you you're limited on time this morning, and we got one bullet one bullet point out of the way. Uh, you want to pick another one? Yeah. Well, I mean, really, in that one bullet point, we talked about quite a few things. Okay. Another another big one is um, planning for a family as a first responder. Yes. It's very difficult, and I'm thinking from a woman's perspective, right? We we only ovulate for a few number of days out of the month and that's when we are able to conceive and so if you're trying to match your first responders schedule off plus your body ovulating plus your sex drives because that's a whole nother thing when people are planning for babies it kind of like takes the fun out of sex i've heard a lot of couples who are like uh sometimes it feels like a chore because we have to do it on certain days or you want to get as much sex in as possible to higher your chances of having a baby that can be a really prolonged or difficult process. And then there's also the stress mentality of the first responder might have a lot of pressure where they have like performance anxiety because they know that their wife is going to need to have or want to have sex for whatever reason, whether you're planning for a baby or not, that can cause anxiety for the first responder and that can cause performance issues too. So that's another bullet point. I think on top of that, I mean, you obviously have the stressors from home, but I think, uh, and you and I briefly spoke about it before we came came on air, so to speak. Um, you have, I think, and I'm, I'm going to mention her by name, Stephanie White runs that Beltane Guild on Instagram. And she talks about the trials and tribulations just put upon you from a fire department standpoint. As a female in the, or a woman in a fire department, the stresses the department puts on you, the expectations the department puts on you. You know, it's kind of goes back to that old adage of, well, if we wanted you to have a child, we would have issued you a child, which is an old school mentality, but it's still prevalent. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing if you're the if you're the the male in a relationship and you're the firefighter. It, it, there's some pressure put on you when you have a child too, because they don't want you to take it that much time away for paternity leave, or eat, on the other hand, maternity leave if you're a woman in a fire department. Yeah, yeah. So, what for you is there a Generalize. I don't know how many bullet points you have, and and I would love to talk about more. Uh, and maybe maybe us scheduling another time and talking, going more in depth on some of these is is the way to go. Um, what are you doing with clients? What's your main approach with clients? How do you approach these these men and women who come to you and say, "Help, we we can't get along. We're we can't figure it out. We can't. We don't. We're not interested in each other, but we still love each other." Sure. For couples therapy, I use a, um, I don't know if you've heard of this, it's called Gottman um, or Gottman Method. It's this couple, their last name is Gottman, and they created this really cool um, system of how to do couples therapy. And basically what it does is allows the couple to see and empathize with the other person's perspective. And so what it, the layout of it looks like is I will see the couple together for the first session. They'll tell me what brings them to therapy usually stressful and and anxious and that's normal. There's a lot of anxiety in that first session for the couple. And then after that, I will see them individually once. So I'll see the husband and I'll see the wife. And then for our fourth session, they come back together and the rest of our sessions are together. Mm -hmm. The reason I do the individual sessions is because that part allows me to get a little bit of background of who you are, where you come from, you know, did you grow up in this kind of a family or what kind of trauma have you had? Um, And that will help me to understand them as individuals. So when we come back together, 
I can, when I hear things, I can go, oh, that reminds me, you brought this up about your childhood. Can you talk more about that? And I will use a lot of um, where you, the I feel statements, you've probably heard right. this before, right? Where um, you have the couple tell the other person, their partner, I feel this way rather than you did this because that causes the defenses to come up. And then another thing that I use a lot is if the couple just comes in and fights, they're like fetal battle bugs. And I'm like, whoa, oh. we cannot even have a conversation here because it's just so that's the tension's so high. There's no way to communicate. Um, what I will do is I'll have one person. This is super annoying and it, it is for everyone else to do it. The, the one person will say what they said and their partner, I will have them reiterate what that person said mm-hmm. in their own work. Right. And that that teaches them to listen and also for that person to feel understood. Exactly. Say, I mean, we keep talking about communication, but more than half of communication is just the, just the ability to hear and listen. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Something I liked about the Gottman study is that when they actually did these, they put heart rate monitors on their clients' fingers. Interesting. And they would look, they would have it posted in the therapy room so they could, everyone could see heart rates. And when a heart rate went up, they would say when that person's heart rate is up, they are unable to hear anything mm. saying because they're at an elevated state. So a lot of the Gottman stuff is talking about how to really keep it a very calm environment and to talk about these things without our heart rates getting up. Because when our heart rates get up, that's when we fight and no one's listening to anybody. So how many how many bullet points are left, do you think? Honestly, like I said, I... <laughs> So many, I shoved so many, many and quickly, I know we could go further on, like the pornography, the infidelity, um, mismatched sex drives, planning for a child, communication, hypervigilance. That's what, seven? Yeah. I shoved them in. Yeah, yeah you did. You did. <laughs> they were all in one answer, I think. <laughs> yeah. So I think I covered like the, the, the big ones and obviously we could, you know, with what we have left, we could go into detail about any of them. But well, what I'm thinking is, I, I think to go into detail with any of them is is another hour. You know, I because I, because I want to pick your brain a little bit. So I don't know if you'd be open to coming back on and talking about a little bit more in depth because I think it's something that I've had people talk. Hey, do you think you'll ever talk about this? And I say like, I had to find the right person to have on. And so if someone who's willing, like yourself, it would be perfect. And if you're willing to come back on and, and maybe delve in a little deeper, I'd like to do that. Oh, absolutely. I would love that. I also do a kind of therapy called EMDR, DR, and I'm not sure if you had people on your podcast oh, yeah. talk. Okay, well, yeah. well, I've not really talked about it so much as they've talked about it from the standpoint of of having gone through EMDR. And so maybe for, to have, I've had some, I've had one therapist kind of touch on it briefly, but but it's always worth talking about and, and, and getting into the weeds about it a little bit. Absolutely. I would, I'd be honored to come back. I'm going to ask you the same questions I ask everybody, if you don't mind. Please, yeah. All right. So uh, what's an everyday carry? And it's something, obviously, you kind of feel like you're kind of naked or lost without if you leave home without it. This is going to sound so dumb, but my my dog. Okay. So, <laughs> I take her in so many places with me. <laughs> she doesn't fit in a purse, does she? No, she's okay. a minute golden doodle. So she's like a medium-sized okay. dog. Okay, all right. Well, it's not, it's not as bad as I was thinking when you said that. So that's, that's not horrible. So dude, is, is she, is she a companion or does she give you, offer you comfort as well? 
Both. So I actually got her to use in offices when I was seeing in-person clients at the beginning of my clinical studying and, and all of this. And so she's trained as a service animal for my clients. Um, but I work from home now. So now she really just comforts me. <laughs> hey, what you, you get the you get the benefit of it then. That's perfect. She's so yeah, a companion, absolutely. So let's talk about a book. What's what's a book you'd like to, to offer people to, to read and to something that's gonna bring some value to the audience? The whole bookshelf behind me. I really talking about sex, I like the book Come As You Are. It's really good. It's the same author as the woman who wrote the book Burnout that I was talking about, that stress cycle. Okay. I think both of those are really amazing books. I have a few books on, uh, for first responders, I mean, the typical emotional survivals for law enforcement. Above the Ashes is a good one for uh, Wildland. I have Surviving the Line of Duty. It's a good one. Uh, what is this one right here? I have a little sack of first responder ones. <laughs> Uh, Breaking the Blue Wall is a really good one, too. This one's for cops in mental health. So okay. uh, if anyone wants any of these books or wants to know more about them, you can always send me a message on Instagram and I can always send over a picture of that, too. Also, and really briefly before I before I lose you for the day, um, can you give me some information about Overwatch Collective? Oh, yes, absolutely. So this is a good one. I am a therapist um, that works with the Overwatch Collective. I was actually their first contracted therapist when they begin. It's a nonprofit organization that raises money for first responders and their families to go to therapy. And what they do is they pay for the first three sessions in full. So anyone that wants to see me that's a first responder spouse, um, a child of a first responder or the first responder themselves, that goes through the Overwatch. Um, they ask you for like a one to two page description on why you need financial help. So you just put your information in there. And then um, you can pick from a list of therapists. I know that um, Dina was on your podcast and she's one of our contracted therapists mm -hmm. too. There's also male therapists on there and there's therapists, they're trying to get a therapist in every state. Okay. So um, you don't have to see me if you go through it, but they pay for the first three sessions and both after that, it's a tiered process. They pay 60% of the first five sessions, 40% of the five after that, 30, and it goes down 10% um, every five sessions. And they're really generous um, in that as well. So any first responder that's wanting to look into therapy, but doesn't want to go through their EAP or doesn't want to go through their insurance, that is a really, it kind of acts as like an insurance for, for them. Awesome. Yeah, I just wanted to get a shout out to those guys because I know what they're doing is, is some really good work. And and I just some of my listeners probably haven't heard of them. So you know, brief exposure. I've reached out to them before. And so I'd like to reach out to them again and and, and bring them on. And, and I know that uh, I don't know if they'll get benefit from it, but I'd like to spread the word for them a little bit. Oh, I'm sure they would love to. Yeah, so, they're such good people. Yeah, no, they seem like really good people and, and they're busy as can be. I, I know that. So. But um, I know you got to get going. You got you got an appointment in, in a little bit and you got to get on the road. So I do appreciate your time. Um, I'll send you a message and we can talk about another one if, if you don't mind that, if you're interested. Yeah, it sounds great. Thank you so much for having no, me. Thank you. Go enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. All right. Take care. And we're out. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves and remember to check in on each other.